we're in Ezekiel 28. Why don't you grab your Bible and turn there as we continue verse by verse through the scriptures. We'll be looking um, uh, at chapter, the end of chapter 28 and uh, the, uh, 29, 30, 31 on Wednesday night. We're gonna read, so, so read ahead. You can kind of be ready for the Wednesday night study. Join us here live or online. But I wanna show you something here in Ezekiel 28. The first 19 verses is our text for the morning. It is a Father's Day sermon, by the way. I'm gonna make a loose tie uh, to it. I'll show you what that is. But uh, uh, I love going through the Bible, so I don't veer off from that even on Father's Day. Um, Mother's Day, I tend to veer off because the moms uh, wouldn't have it. Uh, <laughs> but the dad's like, okay. Um, in fact, uh, wait to hear what this Father's Day sermon's about. Well, um, uh, as it turns out, uh, we're gonna be talking about Satan. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> He's called the father of all lies. Jesus called him that, uh, the father of all lies. So that, that'll be our, our uh, you know, speaking of Satan, there were these two little boys uh, who had, uh, in the summertime, they'd go out to the cemetery outside of town and there was a big pecan tree that dropped pecans around the cemetery. And the, the boys would go and pick up the pecans and put them in a bucket and then divvy them up and bring them to the grocery store and get paid for the pecans. These two boys, they were gathering up, got a bucket full, and they sat behind one of the gravestones and sat there and started divvying up. And they, they, they said, there's more over there by the fence. Let's get, we'll get those later, the pecans. But they divvied up, and the little boy's like, one for me, one for you. One for me, one for you. Well, this other little boy, a third boy, comes riding by on his bike, and he hears this voice coming from the cemetery saying, one for me, one for you. <laughs> and he's, he's shaking. He runs to this old man walking down the street and says, I think Satan and the apostle, or the apostle Peter is arguing over the souls in the cemetery. <laughs> well, the old guy comes and he says, that's ridiculous. And he walks over and listens and they look through the fence there um, at the edge of the cemetery and listen. And sure enough, one for me, one for you. And the old man's, you're right, this is amazing. And they're a little bit freaked out. And then the little boys are cutting, one for me, one for you. Okay, and the last one's for me. Now let's get those nuts by the fence. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Satan is not a cartoon. Satan is not a joke. I think we have all these jokes and stuff and whether it's, uh, you, know, um, uh, you, know, you know, Ezekiel 28, you know, kind of squaring us away uh, because there's so many misnomers about who Satan is. Um, you know, we have to kind of be careful about this. Whether it's your favorite mascot, you know, or sports team, uh, uh, they're always using, you know, Satan, you know, the sun devils, and uh, maybe you're a sun devil fan, I don't know. Or maybe you like your deviled ham, you know. Uh, but we got this, we've kind of cartoon, cartoonized Satan. And by the way, with your kids' cartoons and stuff, they always make Satan cool. And the good one's always real, kind of nerdy and stuff like that. <laughs> but, but is Satan a cartoon? Uh, does Satan exist? Some of the churches you go to today will tell you, you know, Satan's more of a notion or an idea. Well, that's, that's ridiculous. If you read your Bible, uh, the Bible actually teaches us a lot about who Satan is. Ezekiel 28 verses one through 19 is an interesting passage that doesn't start by talking about Satan, but ends talking about Satan. I'll show you what I mean. And Ezekiel, he's quite the deep thinker and mysterious mystic um, as we've been seeing him as the prophet. And we're gonna see that uh, here in our text. Let's read Ezekiel 28, verse one. It says, and the word of the Lord came again unto me saying, son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up. That's another way of saying being prideful. Whenever you see that phrase, 
because your heart is lifted up and thou hast said, I am God, or I am a God. I sit in the seat of God. In the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man and not God. Though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. Behold, now, now this is where the Lord through Ezekiel is being sarcastic. Does the Lord use sarcasm? Yes, here it is. Watch this. He says, behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There's no secret that, can, that they can hide from thee. You know, nothing gets past you. Verse four, with thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten the riches and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic, thou hast increased thy riches and thine heart is lifted up, pride, because of thy riches. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness, and they shall bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. Wilt thou yet say before him, what slayeth thee? I am God. But thou shalt be a man and no God in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God or the Lord Jehovah. Now pause here in verse 10, because um, up till now, it's kind of clear what happened. I think it is. If you were with us last Sunday, we talked about the city of Tyre, the destruction of Tyre. And remember, God made a flat tire. He did not spare tire. Um, it was not a good year for the men of Tyre. Um, but if you recall, that study was about the destruction of Tyre. And then verse, chapter 27 on Wednesday night, we saw the, the funeral procession of, of the people of Tyre and, and the city itself. But here in chapter 28, we talk about, we start here with the prince of Tyre and his destruction. And what's the problem? He thinks he's all that. You know, and, and maybe he is, maybe he really was an impressive individual. It seems like the Bible is saying, yeah, he was impressive, but that was the problem. He was lifted up with pride and started to think, you know, I'm pretty amazing. In fact, I'm so amazing, I'm pretty much God. And he started claiming to be God. Now, by the way, that sounds a little crazy right now, um, but uh, as it turns out, in those days, people were claiming that as kings all the time. You know, the pharaohs were considered gods, um, you know, the Roman emperors, some of them were considered deity. Uh, but here, the man uh, that was the king or the prince of Tyre was, was calling himself God in this sense. And here, the Lord's saying, you're not God, and I am God. And you're gonna die like a man because you're a man. And guess who's gonna kill you? God is gonna kill you. Like, this is a really radical uh, section of scripture saying, you're toast, Mr. King of Tyre, prideful, arrogant, and so we understand that um, and uh, kind of marries nicely to our sermon from last Sunday of the destruction of Tyre. But here's what happens. Ezekiel is gonna take and look beyond this story in his local situation and his prophecy is gonna extend to something bigger and even more important and more long-term and, and even more eternal and, and use this as an idiom, an illustration, a metaphor of another ruler Satan himself. Um, by the way, if you're new to the Bible, um, you might think, well, Brett, this is kind of a stretch, uh, suddenly thinking that he's talking about Satan when he was talking about the king. But what you need to understand is, if you read the rest of the Bible, most of the prophets do this, 
where they talk about a local situation and then their gaze goes past the local situation and goes into a, even a thing that's yet to happen in our own lifetimes, future prophecies. Um, let me give you an example. In the book of Daniel, remember he gives this prophecy about you know, the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the, the Greeks. And then when the Greeks come, Alexander the Great is prophesied about by Daniel the prophet. And after Alexander, there's these four other generals that will come out of Alexander. Remember Lysimachus, Cassander, uh, you know, Ptolemy, Seleucus, those, those uh, generals, if you know your history, and they took over. But the Ptolemies and the Seleucians went to battle against each other. And Daniel talk, he prophesies about all this stuff uh, with great precision. But then he talks about a ruler that's gonna come out of that group, the Ptolemies and the Seleucians, and it would be what uh, would, the Jews would eventually know as the Maccabean Revolt because a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, the Jews called him Antiochus Epimanes as a play on words. Uh, the, the Hebrew is basically saying uh, Antiochus the madman. That's what they called him. Why was he called the madman? He slaughtered uh, tens of thousands of Jews in the streets of Jerusalem. He smeared pig's blood all over the temple. You, you guys remember that story. The Maccabean Revolt, the Hanukkah, all came out of that whole story. But Daniel then, when he tells that prophecy about the Maccabean local situation, his gaze goes past that and talks about even that same kind of spirit that was on Antiochus to kill Jews and defile the temple and all this stuff would happen even in a future time where it wouldn't be Antiochus, it would be Antichrist, this one who would come in the future and set himself up to be worshiped in the temple in Jerusalem. And, and that's a common thing that the prophets did. They talked about the local and then they looked forward to something bigger. That's exactly what Ezekiel is about to do. So verses one through 10 of our text is talking about the, the prince of Tyre. But now see if you can notice, what is it that gives us the clue that this is something greater than just a person or even a human? What, what are the attributes talked about here that are not really human attributes that he's gonna talk about? Let's take a look uh, as we finish up verses 11 through 19. It says in verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone that was thy covering, the sardius, Topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou wast created. And thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. By the way, that's an idiom that the Hebrews looked at when they talk about the stones of fire. That's talking about the stars of heaven, um, that, that he would walk among the stars of heaven. Verse 15, thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, have, uh, they have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned, therefore, now, now, I want you to note this. God is gonna make, you know, like, um, you know, five I will statements. God's gonna say, I will do this, I will do that, and I will do that. Note these. He starts out in the middle of verse 16. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up 
because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all of them that behold thee. And verse 19, all they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be anymore. Here we have the king of Tyre mentioned here, but do you sense that this is something bigger than just some local king? And why do we get such a huge section of the Bible talking about this king that nobody really cares about? Um, it's because of this, this moving to something bigger. Um, is the king of Tyre referring to Satan? Well, I believe there's several clues. And I'm only going to give you my top several. There's actually a bunch more than this. But here's some of the clues that we see this is not actually the literal king of Tyre, but now we're talking figuratively about Satan. Notice he's called in some of your translations the model of perfection, blameless. Um, from, the, the, from the very first day that he was created, it says that in verse 15. Thou was perfect in thy ways till the day that, that uh, from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Now, now, what human was born in perfection? Now, if you're, you know, if you went to Berkeley or Harvard or, you know, Portland State, you know, you were told you're a good person and people are basically wonderful and all, everybody's good and all this. Stuff. Well, the Bible says the opposite. Everybody's bad. We were born in sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not even one person righteous. And it even says we were conceived in sin. Like we're just full of sin. We have sin nature within us. If you don't believe that, just give birth to a child. <laughs> and you will say, wow, there's a little sin nature in there. And it came very naturally. You didn't teach Junior to say, mine. That's a very greedy attitude. That just comes very naturally. Uh, stuff like that, lying, when they first tell that first big lie. Uh, you didn't teach them, okay, now here's how you lie. You didn't do that, it's a sin nature. But this being, whoever it is, was, was created in total perfection, it says, until iniquity was found. See, that, that's not a human characteristic. Let's go on. Not only the king of Tyre, uh, it also says that he was in the garden of God, the garden of Eden, verse 13. Um, who was in the garden of Eden? Well, this is pretty easy because there was only two people on the planet, Adam and Eve. Well, and you can say also the Lord, but then, well, who would, who's left? The serpent, remember the serpent, the devil, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, hissing, saying, come on, eat eat of this, you know, the, 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 the fruit of the tree. Uh, this, this being was there. Was the king of Tyre in the Garden of Eden? Um, the third thing, he's called in verse 14, the anointed or the guardian cherub, the appointed, some of your translations say it, the appointed or the anointed cherub. The word cherub is the highest form of the angels. And that's what this is being referred to as who, who is the highest form? Well, as it turns out, we know from other passages in the scriptures that Satan was the most beautiful of all the created angels and uh, probably somewhat of a leader, if not the leader of those angels, uh, the guardian cherub, as he's called. Also, it says, you know, you were perfect until wickedness was found in you, or as the King James says, till iniquity was found in you. Um, what, what leader suddenly was going from beauty and perfection to suddenly evil? That's the story of Satan. Um, does anybody know what was the singular sin that he committed? Pride. 
The Bible tells us that in other places. I'll show you that in a minute. Um, but also what we see here in this passage is he says, I expelled you and threw you to earth. We see that there um, you know, uh, in verse 17, I will cast thee to the ground and I will throw you down to before the kings of the earth um, and you've defiled the sanctuaries. So you know, the, the, the thing about Satan is um, all of these quantities and, and qualities fit him as a being. So that's why scholars believe that, pardon me, Ezekiel's saying, listen, um, the king of Tyre is one thing, but now the way that the king of Tyre went down, that's a picture of how Satan himself is gonna go down. Now we learn a lot about Satan, and, and, and if you're new here, I, we don't focus on Satan all the time here at Athey Creek. What we do is go verse by verse through the Bible. So when it comes up, we'll talk about Satan, and I thought Father's Day would be a wonderful day to, <laughs> to talk about this, so, so that's what we're doing. Um, but I wanna, while we're here, we should know about Satan because the Bible teaches us that we're supposed to know about Satan. Um, so, so first of all, note with me, if you're taking notes, number one, Satan's display. He, he puts on a display that's quite impressive. I need to say this, and I hope you listen, Satan is not ugly. We all think that Satan, oh, he's, he's a red guy with a wrinkly face, muscular, but with a red face and a red goatee and horns, and he's down there going, yeah, ah, 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 ah. And he's, he's there with steam and stuff and sulfur smell around him and stuff. No, no, the Bible tells us so much about Satan. Um, it's, it's, it's actually impressive when you see it. And you get the sense from Ezekiel, he's describing this beautiful creature, but he's still going down. Um, here's a few scriptures you should know. Second uh, Corinthians eleven fourteen. no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Angel of light, he's not ugly. Um, also here in our text in Ezekiel, you know, uh, 28 verse 13, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in, thee in the day that thou was cr created. Now this is a, a mouthful, this verse, but um, the Hebrew scholars say that the implication is kind of strange, that Satan himself wasn't good at playing instruments, that somehow his created being was an instrument. It might be as simple as, you know, if you, if you hear a woman who's got amazing voice, people say, wow, she's got pipes. You know, she can really sing. Well, Satan's got pipes. That's what it says here. The workmanship of his tablets in the day of, uh, of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the great day you were created. And so he was a musician, but maybe he wasn't playing instruments. He was part of the instrument, this created cherub in heaven. Some scholars have suggested he was a worship leader, maybe the worship leader in heaven. And that explains a lot about worship leaders. <laughs> ah, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Um, some sort of. Um, uh, old J. Vernon McGee, you know, he's that preacher that's on, uh, you know, he's been in heaven for a long time, but I love that uh, my radio program's on uh, at 10 o'clock, I think, and he's on at 10.30, and uh, we're next to each other. I love that. Old J. Vernon, when he was asked about this, he said, when Satan and his demons fell, he said they fell right into the choir loft. Uh, <laughs> I thought that, that's, that's probably, probably true uh, in some ways. But, but Satan was a musician. And by the way, did you know that Satan still to this day uses music? Oh, Brett, preach it. Talk about the devil's beat. <laughs> Tell us. Maybe you come from a traditional background and your preacher or your parents said hey, there's a beat that's, you can find YouTube videos if you want to, that a four, four beat is a godly beat. One, two, three, four. But once you syncopate that rhythm, it's demonic. 
there's like serious YouTube people claiming that. Um, I've had people come and say, the drums are the devil's instrument. Um, let me just tell you, the drums are not the devil's instrument. The bass is. No, just, just, just kidding. Sorry, Peter. Uh, he's playing bass today. Um, no, it's not the bass. It's not the drums. And there's no such thing as the devil's instrument except the devil himself. He is an instrument. Now, this should be important to you because I believe all music, by the way, is soul music. You mean like James Brown? You know, I feel good. Neener, 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 neener. No, not that. Soulical music. That is your mind and your emotions. Uh, um, music ministers to your soul one way or the other. And so rather than talking about a genre of music, well, I think that hip hop is demonic or country music is demonic or, or uh, classical music or whatever you wanna say. Um, people say stuff like that. It, that's all ridiculous. It's not about the genre. It's about what does the music do? Does the music draw you closer to the Lord or does it drive you away from the Lord? Does it make you think of pure, holy things or does it make you think of sexual, perverse things? Does it make you wanna draw closer to the Lord and worship him or does it make you wanna just kinda live pridefully and, and into your own thing and, and bust your move and just kinda be cool and all that? Like, you have to measure that out and say, man, is this, is this of the Lord, what I'm listening to and making part of my life? Um, and I think that's a tricky thing. Uh, I think there's some Christian musicians that actually feed more of the secular soul and the, the flesh than the spirit. Um, I think there's some secular artists that feed more of the spiritual side more than they even want to admit. Uh, like it's really a, trick, a tricky thing, but you need to discern is this music, Satan still uses music, be careful, especially you younger people because there's, you just have everything available to you. And I, I think a lot of kids are sort of sucked into things that are just kind of harmful to their souls because they haven't had that discernment about, man, is this really making me want to love the Lord and walk with the Lord? Or is this making me almost against the Lord? Um, be careful. But all that to say, Satan's display, it's glorious, it's beautiful, it's bright, um, it's desirable. That's what this chapter is telling us, but he's still evil. That's the thing you have to be careful of. The world does this too. Satan uses things that are flashy and beautiful. Um, do you remember when people used to watch the Oscars? <laughs> oh, the red carpet and the beauty and the clothes and the gowns and the music and the lights. But you know what's funny to me? And I think that most people are seeing through that as just evil. They, they, most people now, that's why nobody watches anymore. They're kind of like, yeah, we're kind of done watching that. It's, it's, it's become so wacko. Um, and people are seeing through the glitziness and see that it's just a bunch of weirdos. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of other things that the enemy's doing to still dangle in front of us that is bright and beautiful, and he wants it to be like a, a, a lure that hooks you. Um, be careful, Satan transformed himself into an angel of light, that's what the Bible says. That's his display, beauty, brightness, light. Number two, Satan's desire. What does Satan want? Well, as it turns out, um, we actually have that in the scriptures. Um, uh, the Bible tells us what Satan's desires are. And as it turns out, remember how I showed you God's I will statements in Ezekiel 28? For every um, thing that God does, Satan has a poser duplication of it. Do you know that? Satan's an imitator. Um, by the way, like, like God is a holy trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there's an unholy trinity. When you read the book of Revelation, there's Satan, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. Like these, there's, a, there's an unholy trinity there that, that's a copy, duplication, not nearly 
uh, even close to what God is, of course, but he's an imitator. But one of the things that God says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. Well, Satan has his own version of that. And let's explore that just for a second. Um, if you look, and we're not gonna turn there for speed because I was too long last service, but you can jot this down in your notes. I, Isaiah 14 uh, Satan in verses 12 through 17 makes I will statements. So let's go through those and compare them with the I will statements of God in Ezekiel 28. The first one, Satan says in Isaiah 14, I will ascend into the heaven. God says in Ezekiel 28, I will cast thee out or cast thee uh, as profane out of the mountain of God. <laughs> you see how those I will statements are very much opposed one to the other? The second one that he makes in Isaiah, Satan, he says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. God says, verse 16 of Ezekiel 28, I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Remember, the stars of heaven. Uh, Satan in Isaiah 14, 13 says, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And in Ezekiel, God says, I will cast thee to the ground. In Isaiah, Satan says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And Ezekiel, God says, I will lay thee before kings that is on the earth that they may behold you. You're gonna be stuck to the earth. Um, uh, one more, uh, I will be like the most high. Now pause for a second. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, here's Satan saying, I will be like God. Now, if somebody in the church came and you said, man, I just wanna be more like the Lord. Similar th statement, what's the difference? Well, that's important that you and I discern the difference on this one because as it turns out, uh, it can be very evil to want to be like the Lord because that's what Satan is. And God says about that, I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Why? The reason was because he wanted to be like God to be in place of God. He wanted to be like God so that people would give him glory and accolades and credit. He wanted to be seen as God, but it, he wasn't giving glory to God. That's the difference. If you and I are desiring to be like God so that we can be more merciful or compassionate, kind-hearted and patient, uh, then that's a good endeavor. But if you're wanting to be more like God, to be seen of men and to be, wow, that person's really holy, look at them, they're amazing. That's actually very much like Satan. You're acting like Satan. If you're trying to be glorified, Lord, make me more like you so that everybody thinks I'm amazing. Uh, that's Satan right there. Uh, be careful, that's a subtle one, but it's still nonetheless uh, true. Now, this is the thing that was dangled in front of Eve, to be like God. Uh, remember that? Satan said, for the, God doth know, as he hung there speaking, hissing, you know, to Eve there in the garden, God doth know that in the day you eat thereof of the fruit, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That was the, the lure that he put in front of Eve to take a chomp out of the fruit. Um, but that mindset is wrong, to be like God for your own glory, for your own enlightenment or your own credit. Um, you know, as it turns out, the greatest man born among women, who was that? John the Baptist. What did J the B say? Well, the greatest man born among women said this, I, uh, he must increase, but I must decrease. That was not what Satan was saying. Satan was saying, I wanna increase so that, and, and, and so that I can be in place of God. And that's why lifting up with pride, that was his downfall, which brings us to the next point, point number three, Satan's downfall. What was his downfall? Well, um, we see that here in our text, Satan's downfall. 
Um, it's interesting because um, most people don't realize um, that it was very singular and uh, we don't even have to kind of wonder about this. Um, his downfall was that single word, pride. It's the phrase that we read over and over here in this passage and others that his heart was lifted up. Uh, you know that feeling of pridefulness. Interesting, pride, the Lord takes real issue with the, the sin of pride. Um, you know, I think sometimes we think some sins are worse than others and they might be in the sense of the repercussions of sin. You know, if, if I sin uh, by, um, you know, telling a little white lie, it's still a lie and it's still a sin. But the repercussions of that may or may not be really bad. It could be bad, but it may not be super bad, but it's still a sin. If, however, I get, you know, uh, overdosed on meth and go and uh, get a chainsaw out of my house and, you know, accidentally put a huge gash of, in my leg and blood spurting everywhere, well, that's still sin, doing the meth and getting all overdosed on that. But the repercussions of that is pretty painful. I don't like getting cut with a chainsaw um, and blood spurting everywhere. Um, isn't it interesting that in the Bible, the sin of pride cause, causes huge destruction? What was it that made the men of Sodom and Gomorrah go down in fire and brimstone? Some people, at a nominal introductory read of the Bible, they say it was homosexuality, which is a sin according to the Bible. Not a lot of pastors will say that today. I'm saying it, it's true, it's the Bible. It says it over and over again. But that's not the sin as it turns out that crushed Sodom and Gomorrah. Does anybody want to take a stab? What was the guess of what that sin was? Pride. It was the pride of the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, I'm gonna rain fire and brimstone on that city. I do think it's interesting that um, you know, the LGBTQ community links pride with their whole you know, narrative. Gay pride, they go hand in hand. Pride day marches and pride month that we're all seeing in front of our faces jammed down our throats. I'm just telling you, that, that's, that's, that's what the Lord says. It's not, it's not as much um, the sins that we, we think are horrible. As it turns out, God says it's pride. And that was Satan's downfall, that was Sodom and Gomorrah's downfall, and that's really what is the downfall of humanity altogether. So pride, what, that was his downfall. What is Satan's defeat? Is he defeated? When, when will he be taken out of the picture? Why doesn't God wipe him out right now? Well, let's look at that. Satan's defeat as number four. Um, we see how that's gonna shake out. As it turns out, our passage before us explains that Satan was cast out of the mountains of God, which is a kind of a way of saying heaven. And he was, where was he cast to? The earth. Um, now this is, explains a lot. Even though your insurance company, if you have a tree fall in your car, they'll say it was an act of God. As it turns out, I disagree with that. Satan, Jesus said he's the God of this world, little G, he's a fake God, not a real God, but he's called the God of this world. Jesus said that. And he's also called the Prince of this world. Satan got the title deed to this world when Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord in the Garden of Eden. That title deed will be taken back. We read about that in Revelation chapter five and the Lord's gonna fix all this stuff. But right now, Satan's large and in charge. Um, you say, okay, Brett, that, that's depressing, but it explains a lot when we see what's going on in the world. No wonder the world's in such a fallen, sinful state. Satan's the leader of this whole thing. Um, but, but here's how that went down, by the way. When Satan was lifted up with pride, what happened? Well, we see that in Revelation chapter 12, verses seven through nine. It says, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought against his angels. 
um, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, that's from the Garden of Eden, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into, into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So that's when Satan and his angels, fallen angels, demons, if you wanna call them that, um, they were hurled to this world back, uh, and that's what happened. Revelation 12 gives us that description. So that's the bad news. That's the situation we're in right now. But there's coming a time where all that's gonna fix. By the way, this, this, this verse tells us a whole lot of stuff. Um, uh, one of the things I always love to point out is don't forget, Satan and God are not opposites, are they? If God wanted to wipe out Satan, he could just go and it'd be over. Flick him and he's gone. Shoe fly. Like that's the way it is. God is way more powerful than Satan. Satan's just a created being. And Jesus and Satan are not opposites because Jesus is God. So who would be Satan's opposite? Anybody want to take a guess? Michael the archangel. It says it in this verse, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels against Michael. And who won? Michael. And he's gonna win again in the future. He's gonna do more to uh, subdue Satan. Uh, where do we read about that? Well, fast forward to Revelation chapter 20. Um, it says, and I saw an angel come down from heaven. That's probably Michael. We don't know for certain, but probably. Having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and uh, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till or until the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Now, this is probably the thing you didn't color in Sunday school. <laughs> Most people don't even know what this is all about, but let me just give you a really, I'll try to do a quick. So right now, Satan's alive and well, um, going to and fro over all the earth, uh, seeking whom he may devour. That's what we know about the devil right now. But there's coming a time, and I'll tell you what, what I believe that time's gonna look like. The rapture of the church happens where we're taken up into heaven. The seven-year period called the tribulation is gonna be a horrible time, and that's where Satan's gonna go crazy and do all kinds of stuff that the world's never seen, even worse than anything we've ever seen um, during the tribulation. But then Christ, at the end of the seven years, Jesus returns. That's the second coming of Christ. And who comes with him? Us, the believers, 10,000s of his saints. Christ returns, and, and, and then at that point, that is when the devil will be taken by Michael with a chain and throw him into the bottomless pit. The Greek word is abuso, or the abyss. And that's not hell. People think that's hell, it's not hell. He's gonna throw Satan into this for how long? For a thousand years. What happens for a thousand years, meanwhile? The millennial kingdom, the kingdom where Christ rules and reigns on this earth for a thousand years. While that's happening, Satan's in the abuso, not doing what he's doing now. That's why the millennial kingdom is gonna be glorious. The Bible says the millennial is gonna bring an end of transgressions and everlasting righteousness, and Christ is gonna rule and reign. It's gonna be a glorious time on this earth for a thousand years. But at the end of the thousand years, this verse tells us he'll be loosed for a little season. Now this, this brings up a question, but it also gives us, I think, an answer. The question is why in the world would God loose Satan at the end of the thousand years? Here's the reason most of us believe this. Uh, why it's gonna happen. During the millennial kingdom, those of us that were raptured or died before, we're given new bodies, we're given glorified bodies, we're in a whole different condition. Meanwhile, there are some people that will live through the tribulation kind of like you and I are now in our physical bodies. 
But it will change for them. The millennium, Isaiah talks about people will live long, like in the antediluvian world, the, the pre-flood world, that when they lived, like remember Methuselah lived over 900 years. The millennial kingdom will go back to that kind of a thing. And Isaiah says, if a, if a person dies at the age of 100, it's like a child dying. People will be sad as if a child died. That's, that's the book of Isaiah. Now, millennial kingdom is gonna be a different deal. But nobody during the millennial kingdom will have had an opportunity to choose whether they were gonna follow God or follow Satan. So we believe that that's why he'll be loosed at the end of that time at the end of a thousand years where people that never had the opportunity, they'll say, I'm gonna make a choice. You see, God gives humanity the free will to choose to follow him, to be linked to him. The, the wording is actually even more intimate, married. We're called the bride of Christ. And he doesn't hold the gun up to us and say, marry me, and by the way, I'm the only choice. He says, you can choose me or you can choose the devil. Um, the Bible makes this clear, there's choices. Choose this day whom you will serve, the Bible says. And you know, Joshua talked about, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can serve gods and idols if you want to, but as for me, I'm following the Lord. Like that's a choice all throughout the Bible. And by the way, this is why I believe God doesn't off Satan right now. I mean, he could just say, done. But he doesn't because there's still a choice. And God, he's a perfect gentleman. He allows you to choose whether you're gonna go for him or against him. Well, Brett, I like to think of myself as neutral. I'm Switzerland. Um, well, the Bible teaches it's kind of like this. It's like a river and we're floating down the river of life, but there's a fork in the river. And it's really, it's, you know, it's, it's really binary. You can either follow the Lord or you can follow the other direction. And the other direction, whether you like it or not, by saying, no, I'm not gonna go that way. You are going down the way of Satan. That's the way the Bible tells it, whether you like it or not. So that loosing for a little season at the end is to give those people a final option, whether they're gonna follow the Lord. And sadly, they're gonna deceive, the devil is gonna deceive many at that time. And that leads us to Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them in the millennial kingdom was then cast into the lake of fire. Now that is hell as we know it. The Greek word is Gehenna. Um, cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Remember the unholy trinity I told you about? Bam. Those three entities will be cast into Gehenna and shall be tormented day and night forever. And that parallels what Ezekiel was saying in Ezekiel 28, that Satan does his thing until the Lord finally says that's it and he'll be no more. Uh, for us to deal with. Uh, we won't see him or hear from him ever again at that point. That's what's going on with Satan. That's his future. Now, the reason I go into that is because you gotta understand right now, Satan is alive and well and causing his dastardly deeds. If you're a Christian, guess what? You don't have to be worried about being possessed by Satan. Um, by the way, people say, I think I'm being possessed or I think Satan's messing with me. I don't think you're that important. <laughs> what do you mean, Brett? Well, did you know that Satan is not omnipresent like God? God is omnipresent, Satan is not. He's just a single being um, and he spread thin for you know, eight billion people on the planet. I don't think you or I are that important for Satan to really do a work on us. Now there's demons and fallen angels, I think that could be causing trouble in the world as well. Maybe they're part of that. But if you're a Christian, man, you have to remember that Christ is in us. Satan cannot have power over us. He can tempt and lure and distract and cause trouble. But as a Christian, we don't have to be afraid. You see, this leads to my final you know, few minutes here is two big mistakes people make about Satan. The first mistake is simply this. 
they ignore or have become unaware of his existence. Again, if I'm Satan, some of you are like, I think you are. Uh, But if I'm Satan, I'd want people not to believe in me. If nobody believes in me anymore, mission accomplished. Um, So there's a lot of people who don't believe in Satan anymore. But as it turns out, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. The one thing, one of the several things the Bible says don't be ignorant about, one of them is that Satan has devices that he wants to use against people on the earth. Don't be ignorant about those devices. That's why we're talking about it today. The, um, the second verse there that you might note is that James 4, 7 that talks about how we're to resist the devil and he will flee from us. If you don't believe in the existence of the devil, you're not spending much time resisting the devil. And so people don't realize it, but there's things going on in their lives that all they need to do is resist. How do you resist? Jesus modeled that. Read Matthew chapter four. Every time Jesus was tempted by the devil, Jesus spoke the scriptures and the word of God, the sword of the spirit, that was the weapon he used to do battle against Satan's temptations. Uh, Resist and he will flee, that's a promise. So the first mistake we make is some people ignore him altogether, unaware that he even exists. The second mistake I've seen people make is they give him too much attention and too much credit. There's churches that run around with looking around every you know, corner with heebie-jeebie, the devil's gonna get you. you know, watch out for the devil. And they, they're the ones that are going, I rebuke you, devil, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you. They, you know, they get all weird and, and uh, watch out for those churches, by the way. Once they start handing out snakes and stuff, probably should leave that church. Um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a buddy, uh, I haven't talked to him for a long time, but he, um, Chico Holiday was a famous Las Vegas performer back in the old days. And he and I were friends, but... Um, he was, became a Christian, left Las Vegas as a performer and started playing in churches. But true story, he booked a date in Texas somewhere, a big church, and he got his guitar out and he was doing a concert and everybody was getting really into it. And he's like, wow, they really like my concert. You know, he's, but suddenly these guys bring these boxes out in the front of the sanctuary and um, they start passing rattlesnakes around the sanctuary. Um, and, and it's a stupid thing that some churches do, especially in the South, because the Bible says they'll hand, handle deadly serpents and they won't, the poison won't kill them. That's why they do that. Now, read your context. It's in the context of being on the mission field out in the jungle. That's where the Lord will protect you from poisonous snakes, not in church passing them around. It's just a dumb thing. But my buddy Chico said, I made a new door. I grabbed my guitar and just ran out through, through that. And he said, I was gone. But here's the funny part. The church didn't even notice he left. There was this, oh, woo-hoo. It was crazy, crazy. So some churches get all into this, you know, hooping and hollering, the devil's gonna get you and I rebuke you. Let me just remind you, there's none of that in the Bible. Um, refresh your course. Who's the one who's ultimately gonna subdue Satan? Michael the archangel. We've read that twice now. But as it turns out, Michael and Satan have an interaction in the small little book, no chapters in Jude, but Jude verse nine. It talks about this strange event. It says, yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. I don't have time to talk about what that means, but that's quite a story in and of itself. But it says he, he durst not or did not bring against him, Satan, a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. If Michael, who could crush Satan and has and will again, says, he's not going on, I rebuke you, devil. That's not what Michael's doing. Michael's saying, the Lord rebuke thee. Even Michael says that. Um, See, you and I shouldn't go around rebuking the devil. What we should be doing is just praying and saying, Lord, would you please bind up Satan? We don't have to gyrate and shriek and have green vomit and spinning heads. We don't need to do any of that stuff. That's just Hollywood and stuff like that. 
you and I can just calmly put our trust in the Lord and, and, and just remember what the Bible says, because uh, again, the Bible's where it's at. First John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We don't have to run around freaked out and heebie-jeebied and all weirded out because of the devil. Um, learn the lesson that Satan is a being, he is powerful and he is messing with people. But the best way to resist the devil is to become a Christian and trust in the Lord and let the Lord fill your life. Because where there is light, there can be no darkness. If you go into a dark room, all you gotta do is turn on the light switch and guess what? The darkness is gone. 